Hi, this is Jeff Steele, and today we're reading Exodus 39, verses 1 through 21. The craftsmen made beautiful sacred garments of blue, purple, and scarlet cloth, clothing for Aaron to wear while ministering in the holy place, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Bezalel made the ephod of finely woven linen and embroidered it with gold and blue, purple, and scarlet thread. He made gold thread by hammering out thin sheets of gold and cutting it into fine strands. With great skill and care, he worked it into the fine linen with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread. The ephod consisted of two pieces front and back, joined at the shoulders with two shoulder pieces. The decorative sash was made of the same materials, finely woven linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They mounted the two onyx stones in settings of gold filigree. The stones were engraved with the names of the tribes of Israel, just as a seal is engraved. He fastened these stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as a reminder that the priest represents the people of Israel. All this was done just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Bezalel made the chest piece with great skill and care. He made it to match the ephod using finely woven linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. He made the chest piece of a single piece of cloth folded to form a pouch nine inches square. They mounted four rows of gemstones on it. The first row contained a red carnelian, a pale green peridot, and an emerald. The second row contained a turquoise, a blue lapis lazuli, and a white moonstone. The third row contained an orange jacinth, an agate, and the purple amethyst. The fourth row contained contained a blue-green barrel, an onyx, and a green jasper. All these stones were set in gold filigree. Each stone represented one of the twelve sons of Israel, and the name of that tribe was engraved on it like a seal. To attach the chest piece to the ephod, they made braided cords of pure gold thread. They also made two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings and attached them to the top corners of the chest piece. They tied the two gold cords to the rings on the chest piece. They tied the other ends of the cords to the gold settings on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then they made two more gold rings and attached them to the inside edges of the chest piece next to the ephod. Then they made two more gold rings and attached them to the front of the ephod, below the shoulder pieces, just above the knot where the decorative sash was fastened to the ephod. They attached the bottom rings of the chest piece to the rings on the ephod with blue cords. In this way, the chest piece was held securely to the ephod above the decorative sash. All this was done just as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, well, there are a couple of things that I think about when it comes to these priestly garments, uh, the the chest piece and the ephod. The first thing I wonder, <laughs> I wonder is how did they keep them clean? Like I know maybe that's kind of a weird thought, and I am not a neat freak by any means. Uh, right now I'm looking down at my sleeve that has coffee stains on it from this morning. So it's not like I'm some kind of immaculate person that I am always thinking about keeping everything clean. My wife will testify that is not me. But the tabernacle is kind of a portable tent that moves around with the people. They set it up wherever they go. So I may not be immaculate, but we do, uh, my family and I do a lot of camping, and I know how hard it is to keep the camper clean. We're always wearing flip-flops, and the ground is always dusty or muddy, and the kids and dog are tracking dirt everywhere when we spend most of our time outside. And as for the priests, they're dealing with uh, sacrifices and blood, burning incense and oil for the lampstands. They're wearing these beautiful robes that were painstakingly made, and then they're slaughtering animals. That's messy, isn't it? When we did our... uh, 
our Tabernacle Worship Sunday, just a couple of Sundays ago, we showed some clips from a, a video that was kind of a walk through the tabernacle, demonstrating a little bit what the tabernacle would have looked like. Now, I am a visual person, so I love having that visual representation. It helps me a lot make sense of texts like the one we read today, if I could see it for myself. But my only complaint about that video was how clean it was. There is no way that everything stayed that pristine and spotless. And they showed, uh, like, smearing just a tiny bit of blood on the altar. And when the priest washed his hands in the laver, he, uh, he just dipped his fingertips in it to wash his hands, as if only the tips of his fingers would have gotten bloody uh, when sacrificing an animal on the altar. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily wear my nicest clothes to sacrifice animals and slaughter them on the altar. I, I don't know. Maybe you get dressed up for that, um, but I don't. But I'm, I'm amazed at the painstaking detail. Hammering gold into a sheet and then cutting it into threads so that the thread could be woven into the material. I'm amazed by that. Now, you know, gold is not really the strongest of materials, right? A single thread of gold is probably not going to have much functional purpose when woven into a garment like that. Uh, it's nice to look at, but it's not exactly the sturdiest of stuff, right? The amount of time that went into creating that gold thread so that it could be a decorative element is amazing, um, I, but it certainly isn't very practical. And that's the other thing that this reading this text really makes me think of because I am a very practical person. Uh, it's function over form pretty much for me. The, I've never been the kind of person to go in for a lot of bells and whistles. Okay, my cars are very practical. Um, I want something that gets me where I, I need to go and, and that's about it. My house is very practical. Uh, now, I like for it to look nice, but given the choice between doing something that is cheap and looks decent and gets the job done versus something that is very expensive and looks very nice and also gets the job done, uh, I will usually opt for the cheaper thing that does the job just as well as the more expensive thing. So is there anything in these priestly garments that actually helps the priest get the job done? I don't think that there is. I mean, they put these stones on the chest piece that uh, are a reminder of the 12 tribes of Israel. So, you know, that's supposed to be a reminder to the priest that that's who he, you know, he's ministering before God on behalf of the 12 tribes. But you could just as easily write their names on the garment itself, couldn't you? Rather than, like, actually engraving their names into gemstones and then putting the gemstones into gold settings and attaching those, like, the whole thing is just not very practical. God doesn't need gemstones in gold settings in order to hear our prayers. And I wonder, maybe that's kind of the point. Listen, worship isn't really all that practical when you think about it. We gather together in a building on a Sunday morning to sing songs. We listen to teachings maybe participate in communion, give offerings, etc. All of those things could be done more efficiently. You can get the best preaching that the world has to offer via podcast. You could hop on Spotify or even YouTube and you could listen to or sing along with the best worship bands on the planet. 
You could even give money online or via text message. Standing up and singing songs together is not very practical. There are other things we could be doing with that time. And in what other area of your life do you stand in a room and sing out loud with a bunch of other people and listen to a talk? You know, probably nowhere. The practical side of me asks, why do we do that? And I'm the worship pastor. But here's the thing. Worship doesn't have to be practical. In fact, I think that being too practical might ruin the whole experience. Worship is about celebrating God and who he is. And that's probably done best in environments that aren't overly constrained by mere practicality. Listen, when you serve someone, practical isn't necessarily the rule to follow, right? Generosity is the rule to follow. When somebody has a baby or they have surgery or something, what do we do? We bring them food. (laughs) That's what we do. Why do we do that? We do it because generosity trumps practicality in that instance. I, I know for me, I have felt bad at times being on the receiving end of that because people want to be generous. And, and uh, you know, when my youngest daughter was born and people are bringing us meals and it's like, oh, that's so awesome. Thank you so much. That, that really is helpful. But like I feel bad, you know, and, and it's hard to receive that. I know it for some of you, it's probably hard to receive that as well. Like you want to say, it's okay. I can cook dinner. Like I can do it. But that's not really the point, the fact that you could do it on your own. That's not the point. So get over it, please, <laughs> and say thank you when someone brings you dinner. Serving others is not always the most practical thing for us, even if we are meeting a practical need. It's more about generosity. Do you have to gather with the church every Sunday? No, of course not. Sometimes it's not practical. But There is something about making gathering with the church on Sundays a priority. In this day and age, it might seem really extravagant. In the age of business and distraction and sermon podcasts, but the Old Testament pattern for worship wasn't about just getting the job done and calling it a day. It was more about consistent rhythms and constant reminders of God's place in our lives. It was about serving. It was about generosity. It wasn't necessarily about practicality. Two challenges for us today. Number one, I would say do something really impractical and extravagant for someone today. Don't ask, do I really need to do this? But ask instead, how could I go above and beyond today? And the second challenge for us is consider your uh, patterns of worship, your patterns of prayer, your rhythms of reading the Bible and church gatherings. Would you consider them to be more practical in nature, as in, turning to prayer or the Bible or to church when it's necessary or when things aren't going well or when you need something in particular? That would be, that would be practical when church and the Bible are, you know, are, are more of a practical need. Or would you consider your worship patterns to be extravagant, giving our best, patterns of worship, would you consider them to be more practical or would you consider them to be more extravagant? Let's consider that today. Let's pray. God, we want to give you our best. 
and uh, that's the pattern that that we have and uh, and and so I I don't know I hesitate a little bit with that because I don't want it to come out like an appeal like yeah we everybody needs to be in church on Sunday and give more money and stuff like that that's not the point um, but I I do wonder about my rhythms and I wonder um, about my uh, need and my desire to spend time with you in prayer and to spend time with you in the word. God, does that, that I could be um, approaching that from a practical standpoint and I don't want to do that. So God, that's my prayer for us as a, as a community, as a people that, that we would uh, approach this from a place of what can I give today? God, how can I serve? How can I spend time with you? How can I make you um, first and foremost in my life? And and whether that uh, makes practical sense or not, God, that's that's who we want to be. Would you call us to be people who are extravagant in our generosity, extravagant in our worship, uh, extravagant in the way that we follow you today in your name? Amen. Have a great day.